Amen. Thank you so much, Jim. So great to be with all of you here this morning. Uh, always such a gift to be with Lake Orion. You guys have such a wonderful church family, a great team, a great campus pastor, and uh, they really are a gift to the community and to each of you, I'm sure. So uh, thankful to be here. If you have a Bible, please open up to Genesis chapter 4 this morning. Genesis chapter 4 is where we are going to spend our time. It's a fairly terrible and depressing story, so I'm going to give you that heads up right now, but I think there's some wonderful things that the Lord has in store for our hearts as we explore the Word of God today. As you're turning there, how many of you with children in your home are thankful that school has either finished up or is finishing up this past week, maybe next week? Anybody there with me? Anybody have teenagers, elementary school students? Some of you guys, the rest of you are like, I don't know. I I don't know what that's like, or maybe trying to remember what that's like. I've come to deeply appreciate the summer, not just because of the weather, but because it breaks up the monotony of the school year and introduces new rhythms. I'm not sure how your mornings have been if you have children in your home that are part of school, but ours have gotten a little too predictable. We've had a third grader and an eighth grader and a tenth grader, so elementary school, middle school, high school, and despite all of our good intentions, the morning routine exposes everybody's total depravity by the end of the year. I mean, everybody's, and it becomes more consistent, it seems, as the year goes by. Katie and I had a planned routine, of course. We had expectations. Uh, In our home, that means that lunches get packed the night before, showers happen the night before, Uh, clothes are put out the night before, backpacks are packed the night before. Each one of our kids have an earliest up because our children, I don't know what's wrong with them, but they actually want to get up earlier than we desire. And I'm not sure why they get up and they just hit the snooze button and then they wander aimlessly like zombies through the hallways. They're not accomplishing anything, they're just walking around. And so we have an earliest up. You cannot get out of bed until this alarm clock goes off. And then in the morning, you know, the expectations to make your bed, spend some time with the Lord, get dressed, and don't leave your pajamas on the floor. Use the restroom. You have to say this if you have a boy, wash your hands, wash your face, brush your teeth, do your hair, which again for a middle school boy means TikTok boy hair, which I've learned about this year. Man, this is a real thing. Do you know what TikTok hair is? It's a thing. It's, it's soft, fluffy waves and curls that like dust the top of their eyebrows and eyelashes where they comb it all forward and leave tons of volume up at the top. Basically, it looks like a bee's nest. It's a mess is what it is. It's just a giant mop head. And you can find video after video of some high school kid showing off his hair with the caption, the hair my parents hate. But apparently, everybody under 25 thinks it's great. And then they show another video, uh, a picture of them when they were little with shorter hair styled. And then it says, the caption, the hair my parents love. But apparently, everybody under 25 hates that hair. Uh, But I digress. The style changes. Every generation has the same battle in the morning. My son comes down. I'm like, dude, do your hair. He's like, I did. No, you didn't go do something with yourself. You look like you just... Rolled out of bed. And so we have that discussion. And then we ask them to make sure that they eat some breakfast. They have to eat two things, cereal and fruit, or fruit and yogurt, or yogurt and toast, or toast and a granola bar, whatever it is. It's not that complicated. 
But for more days than I'd like to admit, by the time we get to school, our depravity, our corrupted souls had won the day before they even took their first class. And before they even started, we needed to reset relationally. We needed to say to one another, my pride got the best of me, and I'm sorry, can we start over? I love summer because it gives us a chance for that reset. It's a chance for a new morning routine, to start new rhythms, to have a new beginning. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Usually by the end of summer, just fast forward, I can tell you what's going to happen 10 weeks from now. And what's every parent with kids now saying when August comes around? I can't wait for school to start again because all of us have gotten into a bad routine. That depravity has been exposed and I can't wait to get back into new rhythms, a new pattern, a new way. It just goes through this cycle. What breaks that cycle? It happens in families. It happens really in every relationship. What gets us off that crazy train? What kind of faith helps us break the pattern of chaos, the pattern of pride? Before we get to the answer for our problem, let's take a closer look this morning at our problem. That's what Genesis 4 will do for us. We're in the middle of a series looking at some of the first families mentioned in the Word of God. We're doing a biopsy of their issues so that we can find God's solutions to our own issues. We began at the very beginning because the creation account establishes the all-important reality that every human being is made in what's called the Imago Dei, the image of God. The Christian story is that every person, every human soul is worthy of immutable respect at every stage of human life, from the first day in the womb to the final breath that they take. Unlike the rest of creation, human life was created for eternity. That's what makes it so unique. And so if we could fully grasp the reality of this truth, the dignity that we have as human beings, it would revolutionize the way we treat each other. It would absolutely revolutionize the way we treat each other. When you look in the eyes of another human being, you are looking at the Imago Dei the image of God. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now this morning, look into their eyes and say to them, I see God's image in you. Say, I see God's image in you. And I'm very quickly seeing which marriages are doing well and which ones not so much. (laughs) The narrative arc of the Bible starts with creation. And then if you know the story, what does it move to? It goes from creation to fall. The fall. And that's where we went last week in Genesis 3. That rebellion against God is ultimately rooted in self-centered pride. Deception led to distrust. That's what happened with the snake and with Adam and Eve. Led to distrust, their distrust of God. Deception led to distrust. Distrust led to disobedience. Disobedience then led to death. Our first parents fell, and when they fell, the world fundamentally changed as sin and death were introduced. They needed a reset. Creation needed a reset, but it's impossible at that point to reset the script. What's been done has been done. What's been written has been written. So when the curtain opens in chapter 4, we're all wondering how will the effects of sin that have now entered the world in chapter 3, how will that impact the story moving forward? This story is the story of two brothers, Cain, the first child born 
of a woman on planet Earth and his younger brother Abel. Spoiler alert that most of you probably already know, Abel is murdered by Cain. The full impact of sin is death. It's spoken of in chapter 3 and it shows up in chapter 4. So tragically, the pattern continues and the divisive power of sin is passed from one generation to the next with devastating results. It's the same story that cycles in our world over and over and over again, that faithless pride destroys fallen people. That's what we see around us. That's what we see in the news cycle. That's what we see around the world. That's what we see in our own lives. So what's going on in Cain's life, and how can he, the way of Cain, be a warning to us? That's what we want to discuss this morning. Let's pick it up in verse 1. It says, now Adam and knew his knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bore Cain saying I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord this is the only place in the bible where a baby is called a man the hebrew is ish she is basically saying god made man and with the help of god i've made a second man she saw the baby then as a work of god and again she bore his brother abel Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Now if we stop here, life after the fall seems pretty normal. You have a husband and a wife, you have the birth of two boys, you have work, you have worship, sacrifice, it doesn't appear that a whole lot has changed. But then there comes this little conjunction, happens throughout the word of God, throughout good storytelling, but, verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, God, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The first issue we see in Cain is that a failure in faith is the front door to pride. A failure in faith is the front door to pride. So there are two offerings, one by Abel, an animal offering accepted by God, and an offering by Cain uh, of, of the fruit of the ground not accepted by God. And then we have Cain's response, which is anger and dis- discouragement, disappointment, frustration, Now, what's going on? Why was Abel's sacrifice accepted, and why was Cain's rejected? That's the focus. That's the key question of this passage. Why would God accept one man, and why would he reject the other? Why would God accept one offering, and why would God reject another offering? Interpreters have come up with all kinds of different answers. Maybe because Abel gave an animal, and animal sacrifices, some would say, are better than fruit or grains because they have blood within them, the sacrifice of blood within them. I I don't buy that at all. I don't think it's what's best in terms of interpretation. I do like meat a lot more than vegetables, but I don't think that's it. The Old Testament honors both types of offerings equally. That's not really the issue. Maybe it's because it says that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions and That basically means that he gave God the pick of the flock, but it doesn't say that about Cain per se, and so we don't know if that's exactly it either. The answer really is found in Cain's response. That's the key, his response. The difference between their offerings 
was ultimately an issue of the heart. They had opposite attitudes towards God. If Cain's heart was in the right place, then when he worshiped God and God rejected the offering, what would you expect his response to be? His response would be one of remorse, of contrition, of repentance, of humility, of saying, God, I brought you this. I'm sorry you didn't receive it. What do you need from me? What should I do? What should I believe? What should I understand? Paul Tripp tells us that we learn something very important about what we offer to God in this story. The problem was not the substance of the sacrifice. The problem was not the process of the sacrifice. The problem was in the heart of the person making the sacrifice. God doesn't just want the tangible parts of our worship. He doesn't just want your praise, your singing, He doesn't just want your presence in the spiritual community. He doesn't just want your service or your generosity. God desires those things, make no mistake. They are necessary, but he's not satisfied with only what can be seen and measured. He wants the intangible. He wants the heart. He wants your heart. Heart, King's offering wasn't accepted. It wasn't his best because it wasn't motivated by a heart that truly loved God. He did not believe God was worthy of worship. What he gave revealed what he believed. This is the exact issue the prophet Isaiah uh, speaks of when he went after the tribe and the nation of Judah. In Isaiah chapter 1, listen to the words of the prophet. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of Convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. God is saying basically here, I don't want your empty ceremony. I don't want your empty words, your empty worship. I want a life of faith that is fully devoted to me. And now, all of a sudden, Cain's problem, when we look at it through that lens, is also my problem. Do I always bring that type of worship to the Lord? Is that my motivation when I praise him, when I serve him, when I give? It doesn't seem so distant when we look at it this way, does it? Sometimes I have that same heart. Sometimes we have that same heart. Sin has this ability to twist our hearts from selfless faith to self-centered pride, even while we're in worship. All of a sudden, our praise and our presence is a demonstration of self-righteousness. People can't see that. Cain's story reminds us that God does. 
Our service and our giving become opportunities to put other people, other organizations, even our church family under our power into our debt. People can't see that posture. Cain's story reveals that God does. It's so easy to turn nearly every demonstration of what looks like genuine faith into an act of self-love. Friends, let's be careful here. That's the story of Cain. That's the way of Cain. The truth is, much of the time, we're a mixed drink of emotions. Am I serving only out of my love for God? Or are there hints of serving for the love of God? Is it praise or is it really just performance? Is it self-sacrificial or is it self-honoring, self-trust, self-admiration, self-sufficiency, self-worth, self-regard? Our actions, they always have a recipient. And if the recipient is not first the glory of the creator, then it is the self-glorification of the created. It's always one of these things. That is pride. We need to understand the interplay between faith and action because Abel believed God was worthy of worship. He gave God his best because Cain did not believe God was worthy of worship, but he still felt obligated to worship. He gave God whatever he felt like he could get away with. Their faith was revealed then through their gifts. Think of it this way. My daughter Leah, she turns 16 next Sunday. Pray for us in Jesus' name. We're working on her driver's ed, and my wife refuses to even drive with her. So all of her hours are with me, and I just put her in the truck and say, have at it, and I close my eyes for the remainder of the trip. We're having a party for her this afternoon. Now imagine all the girls brought something thoughtful to give her, a picture of when they first met, or a card filled with reasons why she is appreciated and loved, or her favorite candle from Bath and Body Works, or anything from Ray Dunn. Whatever it is, something that's meaningful to her. And then somebody gives her a half-eaten pack of gum and a Jimmy John's loyalty card with two out of five stamps towards a free sub. Maybe that person came to be seen by others more than to celebrate Leah. Maybe she felt like Leah should be thrilled just because Leah had this gift of her presence. She's so lucky to have her there. The question we have to ask ourselves are, why are we here, friends? What does your calendar reveal about your faith and your priority? Do spiritual rhythms frame your day? Does God frame your day or do other things? My prayer is that our hearts are full of faith full of gratitude that when we take communion, that we are moved, reminded that the blood of Jesus Christ is truly our only hope. That his death and resurrection, truly that is the only power that has the ability to transform all of who I am. That there is nothing else, nothing else I can cling to, nothing else I can hold on to that will fill me with mercy and grace other than the life of Jesus Christ. 
That we would be people full of faith, full of gratitude, thankful to be part of this community, thankful to be called disciples of Jesus, children of God, thankful for the cross, thankful for the resurrection, thankful for the gift of the Spirit, thankful to bring offering to him, thankful to be offering him our breath, our eyes, our ears, our heads, our hearts, our hands, our service, our treasure, our schedules, our everything, because we are convinced he is worthy of it all. The author of Hebrews tells us this was Abel's posture. In chapter 11, verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. What's going on in Cain's life and how can he be a warning to us? Cain should have known his offering would be rejected. He should have known. He should have known where his heart was with the Lord. But that's what pride does. It's blinding. Pride jumps out in front of us to defend us. Rather than taking the rebuke, repenting and enjoying God, Cain became angry and depressed. His face fell. His failure in faith was the front door to his pride, and and as his pride grew, so did his sin. That's verse 6. The Lord said then to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? It's not doing well as in performing more. It's not being a better farmer. It's will you do well with your heart, with your motivation, with your posture towards me? God is saying to Cain, deal with the real issue. Deal with your heart. This is not about Abel's offering. This is not about favoritism. This is about the condition of your heart. Yet even here in this moment, God is so gracious. He's so patient. He gives him a haunting warning, verse 7. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Sin is like a crouching lion. I could say tiger, but let's go with lion this morning. This summer, Lee and I are joining a Woodside team on a mission trip to South Africa. We'll spend the last couple of days driving through a wild game reserve. I've been to South Africa twice before and done this very thing. And my favorite memory was to come across three lions who had just finished a hunt. And I was one of those maybe demented children who really loved the National Geographic episodes that watched the lions and the tigers and the bears hunt and kill animals. And it was just interesting to me. It was was curious to me. And if you've seen those before, then you know how this works. Maybe you've watched when the lions work together to separate a few kudu deer from the pack. And what they do is they run and run and run the deer to the point of complete exhaustion, but they never attack. Once the kudu deer lay down in their exhaustion, they wait until they see the muscles of the deer literally relax, move from tense to soft. And when they relax is when the lion pounces. That's when the lion attacks. God is saying to Cain, don't let your heart relax 
Recognize what is going on inside of you. Give attention to your soul. It's called sin and it's waiting for you to let your guard down. Give whatever it is in there to me, God says, and you'll find something different. You'll find hope. You'll find grace. You'll find mercy. You'll find forgiveness. Cain didn't listen. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? There's so much arrogance, so much pride, so much deception. The details as to how he killed him and whether it was premeditated or not, they're they're not the point at all. The point is, sin didn't take generations and generations to evolve into its highest form of evil. It took all of two births. That's it. Two births for one soul created in the Imago Dei to snuff out the life of another. The question of verse 9 should sound familiar. In the garden, God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? In repentance, they came forward and he covered them. Now God asked Cain, where is Abel? And because of his hatred, his pride, he doesn't come to God in repentance. He basically says, how am I supposed to know? I'm not his keeper. You're God. You're his keeper. You tell me. Pride leads to self-preservation at all costs. Maybe it doesn't show up this way in your life. Of course, to this measure, this extreme But friends, let's not kid ourselves. This is what we tend to do when pride blinds us and self-preservation takes over. And self-preservation begins ruling our actions, our motivations, and our hearts. At all costs, we protect ourselves. That is the way of Cain. That is the way of the world. But there is another way. There is a contrast to this. There is a different way. The way of humility. The way of Christ. The very familiar passage in Philippians chapter 2, we see the opposite, not the way of Cain, but the way of Jesus. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, Paul says, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You already have it in Jesus through his spirit who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So let's ask ourselves, do we have any responsibility to each other? Are we one another's keeper in any sense of the word, especially for those who are in the body of Christ? Do we have a responsibility to one another and then to the world of humanity around us? In the late 1920s in the state of Massachusetts, there was an interesting case brought before the court that created all kinds of public tension. It had to do with this exact question. The case involved a man who had been walking along a pier. He tripped over a rope and fell into the cold water of the ocean. He could not swim. So he came up gasping for breath, screaming for help, and then he would sink below the surface. 
A few seconds later, he'd come up sputtering and screaming and shouting for help, and then he'd sink below again. This happened several times. His friend down the beach recognized his voice and went on a sprint to try to save him. But by the time he got to him, by the time he ran to the pier, it was too late. He had given in to the tug of the ocean and he had drowned. Ironically, within just a few yards of the man who drowned was a young man in his mid-twenties sunbathing in a deck chair. Not only did he hear the man screaming in the water, this is before headphones, friends. He didn't have his pods in. He, 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 did, he heard the man. He was also an excellent swimmer, but he did nothing to help. He simply turned his head towards the cries for a moment and then turned away as the man sank beneath the water for good. When the family found out about the sunbather, they were so disgusted by his lack of compassion that they sued him. The verdict, real case, the state of Massachusetts ruled that the man sunbathing on the pier had no legal responsibility to attempt to save the drowning man's life. The point is, as an American citizen, you are guaranteed the right not to act in the best interests of another person. You don't have to help. That's the law of the land. You can almost hear the shout of Cain, am I my brother's keeper? The law says, no, you are not. But the law of our land is not what determines how we are ultimately to live, is it? It's not just what comes through government. That's not our highest law. The gospel is. And the gospel allows for only one answer to the question. It's an unequivocal yes. The Apostle John puts it like this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Jesus laid down his life for you and me, for the world. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for others. Pride and self-preservation, that's the way of the world. Or humility and selfless love. Are you compounding the sin? Are you compounding the sin with more of the same? Do you want to bring healing where there's been hurt? Do you want to experience breakthrough in your relationships, in your family, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your friends perhaps, with your spouse? Humility leads us to repentance. Selfless love leads us to reconciliation. It's actually not all that complicated when you look at the gospel. That's what it requires. This is the way of Christ. The way out is the way of Christ. You can keep cycling or you can find your way out through the way of Christ. What's going on in Cain's life and how can he be a warning to us? His failure in faith was the front door to his pride. And as his pride grew, so did his sin and his pride killed his relationships. Verse 10, And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. 
Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. His pride didn't just impact his brother. Cain's pride separates him from God, and the consequences are absolutely awful. The farmer is cut off from the soil. The firstborn is cut off from the promise. Cain is separated from his family, and now he lives in fear that his own family will kill him since the only ones we know that are alive at this moment in time are his actual family. Faithless pride destroyed his life. Spurgeon reminds us, the great preacher, the demon of pride was born with us, and it will not die one hour before us. But we are not left hopeless, friends. We are not left hopeless. Spurgeon also remind us, let us measure ourselves by our master and not by our fellow servants. Then pride will be impossible. When we measure our lives against that of Christ and not against the lives of others, that's when pride becomes impossible for us. What breaks the cycle? What gets us off the crazy train? What kind of faith helps us break the pattern of pride and the chaos that it produces? It all depends on who you choose as your master, yourself or the Savior. Will it be the way of Cain or the way of Christ for you today? If it's the way of Cain, this is how your story begins and ends. Creation fall. Stop. That's it. That's the story for every unbeliever in this world. There's just fall. But if you confess your sin, if you've placed your faith in Jesus who forgives your sin through the cross, and conquers your sin through his resurrection and offers you a new way of life, one that multiplies life and actually overcomes quite literally death itself. Then your story reads very differently. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. What is your story? Which one are you writing? That's the offer of the gospel for all of you this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you've not just left us with this story of depravity and pride and sin. When we come to Genesis 3 and 4, we say, what hope do we have? And yet even there, as we saw last week, there are a glimpse of good news. There are a glimpse of the gospel. There's a glimpse of this new way The Father, by your grace and in your mercy, you sent your Son so that every act of rebellion and sin could be covered through faith on the cross. Father, I pray for anyone who is watching here online today, anyone in this room who knows that they have not turned their heart towards you. They've brought offerings, they're present, they're here. But Father, their motivation ultimately is not in a belief that you are fully worthy of our worship, of our lives, of our breath, of everything. And maybe in these moments through your spirit, you've brought conviction of sin. 
and how they know the only way through that sin, the only way to forgiveness is through the way, the truth, and the life, through faith in Jesus. Father, give them the courage even now to pray, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my pride. I give you my life. Make it new. I want to follow the way of Jesus, not the way of the world. And Father, for any who have prayed that today or before, you've given us your spirit to empower us into that new life. Father, convict us when pride peeks its head out again into the actions of our hands, into the words in our heads. Father, help us to be quick to confess all that we need to before you so that our relationships might be restored, not simply with you, but with one another. Bring healing to our families. Bring healing to our marriages. Bring healing to our friendships, Father. By your grace, allow us through your spirit to have the courage to drop down our pride and say, I'm sorry. And give up this pattern, this cycle of chaos. So in these moments, Father, we respond by saying we surrender. We surrender it all to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.